0: Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, here with yet another episode. We are looking at uh, an iconoclastic, cataclysmic moment in the history <laughs> of Metallica. You might not be aware of this. I was sort of tangentially aware of it to a certain extent until, uh, you know, my co-host today point me towards it, and we are going to be talking about Metallica's Playboy 2001 interview, and... I know it's weird. I don't know if anyone else felt this, but when I was growing up and um, reading about musicians that I liked or historical figures or whatever, it would always be the Playboy interview. It it would not only be Metallica, it would be Martin Luther King, George Carlin, Kubrick, you know, all these different musicians. I thought it was for memories rather than memories, but um, (laughs) apparently not. It's, uh, you know, it's got both included there. So we're going to be looking at this unbelievable heart-on-the-sleeve interview that Metallica compiled. It's, like, 9,000 words long, um, and we're going to be getting into that. We're going to be talking about what was interesting, what was happening before, what was happening after. Um just before we do, please follow the show, as always, at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com. If you want to come on the show, if you've got some feedback, i greatly appreciate it. Leave a review on iTunes, like the Patreon as well, if you want to help support. That is so appreciated. Thank you to everyone that does support. Um, you get access to all of these episodes before they go on the channel live and other good stuff. Um, But, yeah, yeah again, I'm joined with my... Uh, my erstwhile co-host john Sturm. john how's it going man
1: i'm good tom how are you
0: i'm well i'm well and you know you you pointed this to me and you Mm. wanted to do an episode on it and which i'm so thankful because reading this interview it is just dynamite isn't it the revelations
1: Mm. oh yeah it's uh it's uh well what is it it's shocking (laughs) it's It's, um hilarious it's (laughs) It's indicative of where the band was at that time, and it's I quite, use the it's word quite band in yeah, it's quite quote heart- marks.
0: It's quite heartbreaking as well. A lot of the insights yeah. that they share, especially about their childhoods, are just painful to read.
1: Yeah, and I, and, and it's it's also a, a great harbinger of what is to come, mm. I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But let, let's paint the scene
0: beforehand. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, you've know, you been a Metallica fan for a long time now, um, yeah. You know, and what was it like being a fan? in the sort of post-reload era because obviously there were huge successes you know like S&M Load and Reload you know million selling like, still yeah. selling out everywhere this band were huge but internally it was so fractious and externally as well I mean you have sort of the you know interpersonal issues and you also have the, the Napster issues the band were kind of in chaos weren't they at this point
1: yeah, I mean it, it it it's interesting because um at, at the time I was a member of the Met club which is different to to how it is today it was you know it was you, you paid and it was behind firewalls and those sorts of things mm-hmm. and it was it was kind of weird because there was this stuff coming out you know they 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 were releasing music you know you had um uh No Leaf Clover came out yep. you know the single unbelievably they released a single from SNM that yep. came out in March of that year you had I disappear came out so there was things you know it it seemed like business uh, as usual and then obviously the 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 sort of the, the big thing was then Napster which which happened in July 2000 and it was sort of a an unusual time because that was the first sort of uh outside of music that was the first sort of marker in the sand that i think divided people you had people who understood what it was about um which essentially was about control and then you had the other side which were like you know smashing their cds and calling them greedy bastards and you had that you know um camp chaos videos then you know money good bad, that whole sort of (laughs) thing which which it still makes me laugh to this day those videos i think they're genius (laughs)
0: they are really well done
1: for so early
0: in the internet as well
1: hmm so, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting time to be a fan because it wore you had no idea of the things going on internally, I think. And that was the, that was the key thing. Uh, you know, they hadn't as they hadn't pulled back the curtain at that point to, to say what was going on, which would happen much later with some kind of monster.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, this this interview is very much in the lineage of other kind of long-form journalism that, you know, expose you that are in no way hagiographies. I think it's specifically John Lennon, um, Jan Werner's interviews in Rolling Stone that a lot of people would be familiar with that sort of came out in book form in the 70s, which was him just sort of explaining his take on the band. And I love the way that this article um, by Roy Tannenbaum, who I I tried to find actually online, because I'd love to get him on the show. Um, he's actually on Twitter, so I need to sort of get in touch with him a bit more, because I really like this interview. I I think not only is it really well written, but it's done in a unique format that I've not really encountered before where at the start of the interview, you know, we we get the four different portraits of the guys and I love the attention he plays to where he interviews them and how Mm. he represents everything about the band. Like, you know, you really know and we'll, we'll get into that in a second, but, the way how it's four individual interviews, and this is, these are done um, before Jason leaves the band, we should say, as well, although the sort of the intro paragraph makes it clear that he has left the band so it kind of, again, in a very, very vital, interesting period. But the way it's edited together is as a conversation, so yeah. he's asking each member separately and telling them what each member has said, mm-hmm. and it reads like a fluid stream of consciousness thing when, in effect, it's four separate interviews.
1: Yeah, and it's it's it, it's an interesting way to to do that because I think um, not to jump ahead, but I think that's referenced later on in mm. as much as that they are communicating with each other yeah. via this um um outside party this interview which again is important of things to come when they're using phil toll as a way to communicate with each other later on you know it's interesting that there's lots of little markers and little things to come you know and and you know it's interesting yeah mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. and uh, essentially what we're going to do now structurally is go through the article um point out stuff that you know we find interesting please Read the article for yourselves if you haven't yet. I'll pop the link in the description. It is eye-opening, absolutely. And we Mm. begin um, with sort of, I don't know, a statement that rings through Metallica. Um, Jason's departure statement, the private and personal reasons and the physical damage I have done to myself over the years. How do you read that quote?
1: Well, I remember when that full statement was released. I was in work at the time and um, I was bored, so I was on Metallica.com, oh, yeah. and that came up. And I remember my my like my heart dropped out of my body because Jason was my guy. I was a bass player in a band, you know. He was like the the model, and I was like, "Holy shit, this band's over. Where do mm. they go? are they over? Where do they go?" Yeah, and it was kind of weird because it's. It, it, it's it, private and personal reasons and the physical damage. So you kind of go private and personal. Fair enough, you understand that they're not going to wash their dirty laundry in public. But then, what physical damage? Is he okay? Yeah. Is
0: it is it his neck? Is it just all that head bangers? Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that was what it was. I think he'd yeah. had you know some injured shoulders, and obviously he tore his shoulder later and had to have surgery and things like that. But um, yeah, it was um, it was just. <clears throat> It came out of the blue. As I said, you know, they'd spent, it was a quiet year. They hadn't really done much. A couple of releases, you know, and this, that, and the other. And then suddenly, you know, January, what was it, January 17th? Yeah, January 17th, mm-hmm. 2001, Jason Newsted leaves Metallica. And you're like, uh, uh, okay. Uh, and yeah. I, I remember the forums just went into fucking meltdown. <sighs> like yeah. people were losing their shit over it. You know, it's just like, well, where, do, where do you go? Yep. Where do you go?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, for, for the majority of fans that came on board, um, he was the bass player for all intents and purposes. You know, and uh, you know, Ooh. unbelievable, like just so important to the band. Obviously, it is James and Lars, and yeah. you know, if any of those left, Metallica would be over. I, do, you, do you think Metallica would keep going if Kirk left? Ooh, out of um, Right now, enter I Mustaine. So. It'd be if oh. they got if they got Mustaine involved. It'd be Jesus. like
1: fucking hell. Um, um, I think now in 2018, I think no, I think that they're, sure. a, they're a different they're a different band now, and I think that they've recognised. And I'm going to include Rob in this statement as well. I think that they recognise that that this is this is the essence of the band now, and I think that it mm. before it was belligerence you know, when when they kicked Dave out, when Cliff died, you know, I mean, they 12 or 17 days after his funeral, you know, they were Um, um, auditioning bass players back then they were belligerent and young and just you know, plowing over the pain and whatever it is. Whereas I think now they would find it too difficult. I think, and I think Kirk is a key component, you know, war and all mm-hmm. that if he went, no, but I mean, it would be, it would be fucking interesting to see Mustaine back in that band <laughs> for just, they could get Ron McGovern back out. On oh base, my God. You know, which they did. I mean, that's the yeah, 30th yeah, anniversary yeah. shows, you know, but uh, yeah. And no, I think if, if that happened now, I think that if anything happened, to any one of them, or if they decide left, I think we'd probably they'd probably call it a day.
0: I think I think you're right. I think you're right. And mentioning Kirk, um, as I say, there are these mini profiles, uh, mm. you know, visual sort of elements to it. So Kirk is 38 uh, at the start of this interview, and we learn that it's taken in his Pacific Heights section of San Francisco in his Gothic mansion, full of dark
1: wood crucifixes, of a stuffed two-headed sheep in the parlor oh kirk i mean uh yeah yeah interestingly you know i'm a year older than kirk uh i'm a year older now than kirk was right, at that right, time right. so i'm kind of going looking around and going "What? Well, i don't have a two-headed stuffed sheep <laughs> I in have my a yeah. what what's wrong with my life um yeah it's interesting i think that's um i'm not sure don't quote me but i'm pretty sure that's the house that you get to see in the some kind of monster yes film yeah. and there's a great little bonus feature on the dvd and blu-ray um there's a photo shoot with kirk which later went on to be uh in one of the so what magazines where he's sitting on a uh a wicker throne yes. that is adorned with various different cat and dog skulls and things so you know yeah um Yeah, Kirk, what can you say? I mean, yeah, what can you say? The dainty orphan, as you uh, might say. Um, uh, James, uh, who we meet, um, you know,
0: less than half an hour north of San Francisco, in a very mellow place. He calls it loser town in the interview. Mm. Um, We learn about his, you know, the walls of his home being decorated with the heads of nine animals that he killed, um, including a bull and antelope and a 1,600-pound buffalo, which is, I mean... I mean, big up James, you know, mm. James the Hunter. That is his essence. It doesn't bother me, as I know a lot of people do, but it's just yeah. <laughs> having. Like, there's one thing to hunt, but having their heads on your wall, it's such a statement
1: yeah I think that's this is a this is a quite a, I, I mean I don't know how divisive it is within the Metallica community yeah. but obviously outside of that you know that whole sort of stuff around Glastonbury a couple of years ago and mm-hmm. people saying they shouldn't be on there I don't know it, it and they referenced this as well later in the interview about you know the sort of the redneck lifestyle of yes. things I don't know I mean I don't really have any personal feelings either way but no. I think it's um it, it, it what these what these bios are doing is very much setting up a caricature thumbnail of each of the guys. And I think that that carries on and that is referenced in place of the interview. So, you know, I think it does a lot to perhaps um, confirm people's prejudices or misbeliefs that they might have about people. Um, But, you know,
0: yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and um, something I'll also be quoting from um, is this, uh, basically, so so this Playboy interview which we haven't really got to the real juicy parts as of yet, oh, no! but when it came out, it caused a huge stink, a huge furore, and you know, I don't know if it was damage control to a certain extent, but in So What, there was a, an article soon after called True Family Values with yeah. Kirk, with James, with Lars where they talk at length about the fallout from the Playboy interview and Lars does say tellingly that you know, Ron, it's what he paid for uh, the journalist you know he should exploit it it was four different people saying four different things that's what he gets paid to do and that's why people want to read it so it doesn't anger or surprise me but i think that where we're at now is even more special so you know this is subsequently yeah. the growth of it but yeah you are right there are yeah. these kind of stereotypes that are marked out there lars himself we learn he's separated from his wife skylar and their child um, he's living in a downtown new york hotel suite while mixing an album by systematic for his Mm. label, this was news to me Um, Mm. there's actually a YouTube clip of him jamming with Systematic which I haven't watched before, who was Systematic?
1: well he had a little record company at the time called tmc which yeah. i think stood for the music company right um so he tried to branch out into um into those sorts of things and i think that was the band that he he landed on mm-hmm. i'll be honest with you i'm not aware of any of this stuff no. um i at the time i don't think it made much waves in terms of oh lars has got a company you know i think it was just uh it got lost perhaps in the wash of um this interview and then Jason going and you know all that sort of stuff. But yeah, I mean he tried. I don't think I don't think the company's in existence anymore. But uh, yeah.
0: No, no, yeah. According to a MTV article, they were a band that he, San Francisco band he discovered and signed to. Yeah, you say the music company. Um, yeah, he was involved in that to a certain extent. We also learned that he's friends with Matt Damon and Courtney Love, which doesn't surprise me. He plays tennis with John McEnroe.
1: Well, I mean, you know, you couldn't you couldn't uh, you couldn't imagine perhaps two – better suited people. I mean, no. McEnroe was the, uh, you know, the rock star of uh, yeah, of the yeah. tennis world in the day. Uh, interestingly, side note, I just watched that Borg versus McEnroe oh, yeah. uh, film. Great, really, really great film. And you mm. kind of, you see that and you go, yeah, because, you know, you can understand it. McEnroe back in the day was a snot nosed punk who didn't take yeah. shit and spoke his mind. And I'm absolutely positive that Lars, you know, felt a kinship with that attitude because Lars himself was a snot nosed punk who didn't take any shit, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And Newstead is in a studio, a recording studio, quite fitting. Surprise. Well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not with Systematic, I should say. No. <laughs> but um, I don't know if he's doing his odd side project with those kids that he did, which I still need to listen to properly. That, one, that was an odd you one. Do. But, you do. Yeah. You do. It's a good album. Yeah, yeah. We need to... It'd be good to do an episode actually just exploring all the metallica side projects big or small you know just mm-hmm. just what they've been on because newstead does make reference to the fact that james had played guitar on a primus album which mm. i didn't know about he was on the south park soundtrack yeah of conformity etc cetera, etc cetera. but well um We'll get into the interview itself um, yeah. when the guys start talking, and we kick off with Napster. Which, of course, this is two thousand and one. We have to talk about Napster. Um, yeah. They talk about the fact that why wasn't James the figurehead? You know, why was Lars the spokesman? And this is you know because James Castor, his son, was being born, and family is number one, etc. But you've got to think really that Lars would have done a better job than James in that role
1: oh absolutely i mean you know l- later on james himself sort of says you know something along the lines of um you know i don't really do eloquence well so yeah. you know intimidation and aggression is where i go so you know you couldn't really see james uh well maybe you could see him throwing over a table in the the, the, the <laughs> senate smash. Hearings. yeah you know because he is the table so yeah yeah
0: yeah <laughs> um and i i I kind of i was quite young at the time i was aware metallica napster all this sort of stuff just as i was getting to the band i didn't really know what it meant and i did an episode quite a while back on the channel exploring the history of metallica versus napster and i don't know where you stand john but i've got to say lars was right i'm 100 percent behind lars
1: oh yeah i mean the the thing for me is that it was so again it's it there's the headline so metallica sues fans that was yeah. the thing that got bandied around during that period is metallica sues fans and it was never about suing the fans it was never about money lars i um, uh, said at some point you know we sold 100 million records i'm okay for money yeah yes. i'm all right you know <laughs> um it was never about that it all stemmed from this um legendary which has now since surfaced um um early version of i disappear it got leaked and got started playing on radios and the whole thing about napster was about control it was about them it's their art it's their work it's their time and 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 effort they put into creating these things and it's their choice on when these things get heard and it's it's not about giving something for free because they've given stuff to fans for free all the time it's not about bootlegging they had a tape trader section in the ninth, on the black album tour where people could bring in camcorders and tape record wow. you know they the band themselves started and got recognition through tape trading through piracy it's you know it's not about that it was about control but the problem was is that many people and they say this in the article you know Lars says if you you know quote if you'd stop being a Metallica fan because I won't give you my music for free then fuck you I don't want you to be a Metallica (laughs) fan and it's you know you read stuff like that and you go well lars you're not really helping yourself there yeah. and he does go on later to talk about you know intellectual property and those sorts of things but you know it, it was it, for me he was right and he was leading the vanguard and i'm sure looking back now in the world that we live in and you look at the uh the effect that it's had on the record industry mm. and and you know they, and let's not forget these are people's jobs you know they've yeah. got they've got mortgages to pay and how and, and and families to feed and clothes to buy and shit like that you know so yeah i'm i, I was with lars I'm, I'm i'm always with lars and and uh, well, yeah mainly and uh you know i think yeah he, he had the right stance And i think that hindsight is is a great leveler
0: yes and that that charlie rose interview with chuck d as well where lars says it's not even about music you know it's about yeah. film and tv and back then it was like downloading film, like, what, what does that mean? But now, in, you know, in today's environment, that is second language, so, you know, yeah. he really was up on it, very intelligently, and, you know, it's his choice, excuse the pun, but he can decide to go against the torrent of history, you know, he doesn't necessarily need to, um, kowtow to this, as some people were, he speaks about Limp Biscuit doing a free tour, you know, yeah. but being paid by, you know, blah, 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 and, um, apparently we're told by Playboy, on the Metallica Usenet group, there's an ongoing thread called Kirk Ugh. and Lars are gay,
1: I mean <laughs> if 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 you want if you want to, to I mean use Usenet, Usenet, I mean I know. <laughs> hello old internet yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean metallic kirk and lars are gay i mean and, mm. and kirk's response is great that's like someone calling that's like calling someone fat so yeah 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 you're like yeah you know fair play mm-hmm. but again they're pushing and they talk about this as well the the load thing and you know the fact that they you know they were they were kissing each other they were doing it to fuck with people mm-hmm. you know and, and and if people have a problem with that then that's not necessarily metallica's fault that's the individual's fault
0: yeah and they mentioned the mtv music awards where they were booed uh, in the yeah. last september which i haven't actually seen they also mentioned something that's kind of hilarious that sean
1: fanning the Napster creator yeah.
0: came out in a metallica shirt
1: yes <laughs> uh uh i remember um i think i saw this at the time i right. think uh, i think there's sort of stuff for that yeah yeah that was uh that was a lovely, lovely piece of, um, of uh, ironic humour, yeah, I yeah, think.
0: Yeah, 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 beautiful. And Harefield said Metallica loves to be hated and yeah. you know, draws it back to the 80s, to the anti-hair metal sort of things. So they've always been in that sort of, uh, you know, sort of dialectic pose there. They talk also about the drinking you know this is mm. alcoholica and this is a huge aspect of the band and they mentioned the day on the green um, yeah. when James smashed up the um, you know the trailer this is mentioned in back to the front actually really there's quite a big section on this and mm. bill
1: graham um, one of those guys you don't fuck with right yeah i mean definitely a, a promoter of the old school much like yeah. um what's sharon Osborne oh, john uh, don arden yes, sharon yes. Osbourne. you know one of those promoters who um, and Peter Grant, as Zeppelin's oh, yeah, yeah, manager, yeah, yeah. you know, famously, you know, carrying a, a cricket bat around with him. And, you know, those sorts of people who wouldn't probably see see anything wrong with sort of breaking a few legs to yeah. get what they want. So yeah. Yeah.
0: It's um I mean, I mean the, the interview as a whole is just wonderful. And it just flows as well. It just goes mm. from one thing to the other. There's and but and it's all edited together in such a good way yeah. that you really would think they're in the room together. And yeah. they are honest. That is the beautiful thing Hetfield says about Lars. He really was not a good drummer
1: to this day he's not drummer of the year <laughs> we all know yeah. that he says <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and it's interesting you meant you you referenced the uh, the family values article mm. earlier and um james says something in that where you know he says there's uh they're, you know, we sort of say that stuff to each other's faces. You know, we say that we what does he say? Quote that shit we say to our faces all of the fucking time. Mm-hmm. So people that really know us know that's not a big deal. So, you know, I think it it, it, it is it. This is, you know, this it's a really weird article. And as much as that they deal with some really heavy stuff. And then the next thing they're talking about Lars not showering enough.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's
1: it's kind of like it's almost sort of schizophrenic and a, a really good, I think, representation of where the band was at the time. Yes. You know, it's so fragmented in certain stylistically in sort of certain things, and you know, but. Uh, yeah, bless him.
0: Yeah, he smelled like Denmark, apparently. Uh, <laughs> James said, um, and and I, I love this section of the interview where they focus on the differences between uh, James and Lars, which yeah. are so pronounced. And talking about how you know James at McDonald's, he hates herring, etc. His father was yeah. famous, and yeah. you know quite, quite quite a lot of uh, poignant things here where Lars is talking about how different they were then, but they are even more different now.
1: Yeah, he does say that as we grow older, we'll probably become more different. I yes. think there's a lot of, um, you know, I mean, you can read this article in two ways. I mean, I think there's there's also sort of a very divisive element to this. And I think, this, as I said earlier about the caricatures, and it's very yes. much some of these things and the way that they, they are constructed it's very much setting them up as these two people are at loggerheads because they're so different or they've got these issues and it's sort of things. You know, this idea that, you know, he ate herring. And, you know, yes, Lars yeah. himself says I came from a privileged uh, privileged background yeah. i you know i he became from a wealthy family he, he moved in rarefied air with all the um the jazz greats that will come over to his house mm-hmm. and you know and, and james came from a broken home and you know it, it, yeah. it's it really does dig into those um quite a lot which i think is really interesting
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i love it and i mean lars is a fantastic interview interviewee you know he always gives good quotes he talks about his, his his persona his personality he's obsessed with the interesting stuff whether it's danish chairs from the great ...modern era between 1950 and 1956, or Jean-Michel Basquiat, or Oasis. So, it's, yeah. like, Lars loved Oasis, didn't he? He always mentions them.
1: Oh, dear Lord, yes. The 90s were... Yeah, were, uh, yeah Lars could not stop banging on about Oasis. Right! I mean... I, I like him. They're yeah, okay, yeah, they're but fine. I, I, yeah. I always thought that the that, that Liam in particular was uh, um, an incredible dick. Right. Yeah. Um. But again, like with McEnroe, I think Lars was just right. like these guys. are real, you know, there's a real rock and roll attitude there. They don't give a fuck. He doesn't give a fuck. I, I and I think Lars is attracted to that. Um anti-establishment that sort of um that you know fuck you type of personality i mm-hmm. think he's really attracted to those kinds of people mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know hepfield brings us back to a to a simpler time really
0: a time that myself or certainly the generation younger than me going forward will never appreciate the fact that him going around to lars's stuff uh, mm-hmm. lars's house and he uh, james could only afford one album a week and he come mm-hmm. back with 20. And he'd have sticks yeah. and Oreo Speedwagon and just, you know, now you have Spotify and what the fuck, but back then you really had to be frugal.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and again, just highlighting those differences, you yes. know, that James would scrimp and save and he'd buy, you know, whatever new wave of British heavy metal album was out that week and then Lars would come back and just obviously just throw in a bunch of cash down, you know, so... Yeah. um yeah it's an interesting uh sort of dynamic i think between them
0: but there's no there's no doubt that james can't be grateful for what lars had because that music mm. influenced both of them you know mm. they probably wouldn't have heard like you know lars going to all these obscure record shops um you know before they start and meeting all these people and you know it, it was a boon to the creativity of the band
1: yeah sure i mean there's uh I can't think of it off the top of my head, but there were certainly a lot of albums, a lot of bands that Lars introduced James to because he had that money, because Mm -hmm. he had that collection. And, and, you know, um, James, uh, you know, would go over there and, and, um, you know, take tapes or borrow, you know, borrow records and things like that. So yeah, they really, uh, they really found each other. I think, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and as much as we've talked about Lars and his privileged background, there's a you know, there is an interesting section where, you know, he he, he moves from Denmark where he's um what does he say? He moved from Denmark where he was king shit yes. and he ended up in Los Angeles where he was king dog shit, you know, and it was <laughs> they were outsiders for various reasons. But then they sort of found each other.
0: Yeah. And more kindred. James and Kirk, you know they they both come from the broken home. We yeah. learn a lot of sad stuff really about Kirk yeah. and, and sort of the abuse he struggled through as well, and also yeah. um, the fact that a, a neighbour um, abused him um, and his dog Tippy had sex with his dog.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yeah it, it's 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 fucked up. you yeah, reading you're so reading up. all this stuff about Lars not showering yeah. and, uh, <laughs> and the symbol fall over, and then Kirk just goes, "Oh yeah, by the way, I was abused." And you're like, oh, okay, I, I don't know how the fuck to process no, this. Yeah. And he says it in and, – and again, I think this is – it must have been a defense mechanism because that line where he talks about that, then the last thing he says is, um, I can laugh about it now. You know, hell, I was laughing about it then. And yeah. you're like, that's not – that's not that's not good. No, coach. no,
0: no, no, no. And, um, I mean, that's a metallochamp question if there ever is one. Uh, what was the oh, name of <laughs> <laughs> what, was, what was the name of Kirk's dog that <laughs> his neighbour fucked? Um, but Fuck uh, it out. yeah, uh, <laughs> Kirk, says, Kirk says heavy metal seems to attract all sort of scruffy lost animal strays no one wants. Yeah. And you know, hopefully you're getting across, listeners, if you've not read this before, this is. A, a, a brilliant interview uh, psychologically for them delving deep. Okay, it is edited to a certain extent, as Lars said, but it's going to be, you know, it's in Playboy. Yeah. It's not just a transcript, but, you yeah. know, it is reading. We'll learn about early names they were going through as well. Um, yeah. Nixon was one, which I, you know. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> and then more familiar ones H- Hell Driver, Blitzer. Uh, Lars was keen on Thunderfuck,
1: apparently. I mean. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think his decision-making process has gotten a lot better over the years <laughs> because those are fucking terrible names. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are awful. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine, you know, Master of Puppets and then at the top it says Thunderfuck.
0: Thunderfuck, yeah. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... I mean,
1: they'd never got anywhere. I mean, they weren't allowed to release Kill em All as Mel up your ass yeah. because of that. You know, they'd never gotten away with Thunderfuck. But again, it's that attitude of not giving a shit. there's
0: there's certain names metal names in particular that can transcend where they come from and just be awesome names like I remember my dad when I was younger when he heard I was listening to a band called Megadeth he just scoffed he was just like he just thought that was the most ridiculous name and I explained to him that it was like a sort of biological thing but he didn't want any of it like I think the name Annihilator has not aged well I think it just no. sounds eighties as fuck. Which is which works yeah. in its favor just to say. But stuff like Hell Driver, Blitzer, Something like Metallica is is transcendent, really. You know, it, yeah. it's a real real premium band. We learn about the groupies on tour. Mm. Um we learn all about, you know, girls in it being used in a row. Um, yeah. Cliff had a big dick, apparently, as well. Yeah. Which you can kind of imagine. Um <laughs> sort of I don't know, had that. Well, that I up. mean, you know, if you if, yeah. you, want <laughs> if you want to imagine it. it.
1: You, you, you're more than welcome to. Yeah,
0: <laughs> um, they come off stage to be like ten naked girls in the showers, like you can imagine. Though, right? Yeah, ways. when they were supporting Ozzy, come on, like the tub tarts. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah. And, you know, Kirk says I couldn't figure out why all of a sudden I was handsome did I wake up looking different. Um, yeah. So, and they talk about having the biggest slut in the band as well, and and yeah. but that, that's the thing, as you say, the fractious, fragmented nature. So it's ha ha groupy stuff. Then straight into what do you remember about the night Cliff Burton died?
1: yeah it is it's it's very it's a very disjointed read Mm. but i actually think that talking through with it talking through it with you now i actually think that that was a deliberate stylistic choice by the author i think that he's been very clever in in um ordering this in a way that you're kind of going oh hey you know they're all whores oh death Mm -hmm. you know I i think that he's he's recognize the the distance between the four members and he's actually put that into the structure of how this works. So it is a disjointed read um, at times. It is like an extreme from one end to the other uh, and I think that's that's a decision that he 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 made, a stylistic choice.
0: Mm-hmm. And at this point in the interview, when Cliff is first mentioned, uh, or he's passing his first mention, should say uh, Jason enters. Um, yeah. You know, uh, Jason Newstead, and he's speaking about Cliff, how Cliff was his guard, his guru. You know, no one before him, and no one since has played bass like that. Is what he says. He talks about his band as well. Have you listened much to Jason era Flotsam and Jetsam?
1: I'm a terrible Metallica fan. Uh, no, I haven't. No, I've no. always sort of stayed away from it because I've seen the artwork and the name and the Doomsday for the Deceiver. Yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, I'm sure this is going to be terrible. Maybe I should. It's
0: it's not bad. Um, We're going to be doing an episode soon on Jason and his history, so I have been listening to it a bit. Interestingly, mm. there's a song called Fade to Black on yes. the album, um, which yes. is an odd little coincidence there. But yeah, it's called Doomsday for the Deceiver, which, like, Annihilator has not aged up. It has just, like, a demon... Standing on other demons on the front, yeah. and then Flotsam and Jetsons like a street sign. And but it's not bad, it's frantic. Um, it's quite a busy sounding, so it's not chug a chug, like it's at a breakneck pace, and it's interesting. But yeah, obviously, Jason came from that, and you mm. know, it's, it's worth a listen. But yeah, they they, yeah. they Jason's speaking about the early days to a certain extent, seeing, um, the band support Wasp in Phoenix, mm-hmm. and he was right in front of a cliff. You know, we know this story: headbanging, drooling, um, and they they left. I mean, I mean, obviously, fuck Wasp, but I mean, they, just, <laughs> they 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 just left. They crushed it, and we knew they did it, and they knew everything by heart. Which is just, again, it's just it makes all that comes after so painful that this guy was in love with the band before he ever joined them.
1: Yeah, but I think that's actually, I think that's actually um, might have been. We could interpret it as maybe part of the problem, in as much as that, if you know, he was a fan and he idolized the band, and then he came in, and perhaps that awe, perhaps that sort of sense of magnitude of grandeur, sort of maybe had a sort of an influence on it. I mean, he Mm. does talk about that, you know, that you know, why why did they haze him so much, and why did they they put up with it, and why did he put up with it, you know, and he sort of said. Uh, quote they did it to see if I could handle it if you're going to fill the shoes of Cliff Burton you have to be resilient and it's kind of like he, I, I, he, I'm reading this I'm just like God Jason you just you took so much yes. because I think you were such a fan and you didn't want to lose he didn't want to lose his place and he was so concerned that they might tell him to get out that he just took this shit without mm. speaking up for himself mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that's you know to blame him and he should have done this and the other but you know he, he I think that he was just so in awe of it all and so like oh my god it's Metallica yeah, yeah. that he took this shit when actually maybe things might have been a little bit different if we'd just turn around and gone, you know, I, am fuck you. I'm not mm-hmm. taking this, you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And Newstead talks about his friend waking him up in the morning when Clifford died, passing the paper and, you know, his tears soaking into the print, them wearing black yeah. armbands the next day. Yeah. And a good question from the playboy. After you heard Cliff was dead, how long before you started to think, maybe Metallica's going to need a new bass player? Jason said he daydreamed it that day. Um, you know, they brought him to San Francisco for the edition, him practicing for five days, staying up, blisters on blisters, the nerves in his fingers. They didn't pay for the airfare. No. Um, which is interesting. No. So he has to pay for the one for himself, and he mentions a story of. I mean, this guy, one idiot. This guy, he never deserved <laughs> to be the man. So this guy auditioned for Metallica, who, you know, Master of Puppets is the biggest album in the world right now. Blah blah. This guy comes in with his bass, which is signed by the guy from Quiet Riot, <laughs> and James apparently yeah. just goes next.
1: Yeah, I mean, he wasn't really thinking that day, no, was he? No. Uh, yeah. I I just mean, imagine
0: he, the signature, just like gold. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, but I mean, again, it, it, indicative of their mind frame at that point, mm-hmm. you know, we, 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 this, these apocryphal base auditions, you know, for, mm-hmm. for the, and they were, I don't doubt that they were drunk the entire time and that they were grieving and that they were angry and, you know, the, the littlest thing might have yeah. set, obviously set them off. And and just like, no, nope, you're not good enough, you know. So it was uh, a difficult time. So fair play to Jason for actually <laughs> even getting to plug his bass in.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, Hetfield says it, uh, it, puts it perfectly in one sentence, really. We were mourning through anger.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's
0: just, just I mean, yeah.
1: It was therapy for it was, us.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. It's, oh, my God, yeah. Harbinger. Before, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they talk about... Um, you know what they did to him which is kind of like what boarding school kids would do like yeah like we put we put the chairs and the desk on the tv stand you know threw my shoes out the window shaving cream all over the mirrors etc but what's sad is it didn't get any better it gets worse like after two or three years
1: yeah i mean what jason himself says doesn't it you know it, it cuts it, it got it got deeper, you know, instead of like, as you say, the shaving foam and throwing and breaking down the door, you know, it got it uh, out. What Jason says, you know, it was based on disrespect. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, a little bit more about drink, a little bit more about drugs as well, which I've not really seen the band... Like, you never really associate drugs with Metallica too much. It is more alcohol. Um, yeah. But, you know, they mention Coke. They mention... Lars talks about doing acid once, mm. which I can only imagine what his brain would uh, would see. Yeah, Could and- you imagine
1: being in the room with him when he's on acid? <laughs> Could you imagine that? I mean, cocaine as well. I mean, he talks... Yeah. You know, but could you... Oh, my God. I mean, that would either be the most amazing night of your life or the point where you just wanted to kill yourself. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And uh, Lars says as well about the music in reference Mm -hmm. to uh, and, And Justice For All. It's the only record of ours that I'm not entirely comfortable with. It became about ability and almost athletics rather than music.
1: Yeah, interesting that, I suppose, isn't it? That we are... What's this? This is 2000, so, you know, 12 years down the line. And the thing that Lars... Is not entirely comfortable with at that point in time. Is not the fact that they you know fucked over Jason, but it's about it's about the fact that the music is complex and proggy. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, exactly.
1: You kind of like there are more there are there are sort of deeper deeper things going on. I think there you know Mm -hmm. Lars than 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 the length of the the song times, but you know.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, this is what I like as well. You know, it does have all these um, personal facets which are very intriguing, very interesting about the guys. But they speak about the music openly. Um, you know, and and they're not they're not not shy to be critical. James says as well on the Black album that there was you know some stuff that he didn't enjoy really to a certain extent. Don't tread on me. Yeah. Holier than now is one of the sillier songs. More the old yeah. style. of my writing?
1: Yeah. Um, although I take issue when he say, he says Through the Never was a little wacky. Through the Never is a fucking amazing yeah, song.
0: Yeah, it's not wacky at all.
1: So so sort that out, Hetfield. Yeah, you need yeah. to reassess that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, I mean, Playboy say it sold more than 10 million. Do you think the Black Album is the band's best record? And, you know, he, he said, the first thing he says is there are some songs I don't like. So he'll yeah. say yes straight away, you know. And I think, yeah. you know, obviously, they've done some better stuff than that. Then it's no, no doubt not a great album. But um, we get into. James, there's a long section now on James and his idea. He's called an enlightened redneck, which which I guess is true, really, right?
1: You see, this is the thing. This plays into the politics of the band because if you look at the stereotypes, everyone sort of imagines James as this conservative redneck, you know, pro-gun, you know, type of thing. Mm. And he's never – in fact, they've all, I don't think, have ever been particularly open about where their politics lie um personally, I think maybe James talked about that was it on Joe Rogan perhaps yes, I, I think so, when yeah. he talked about it, like you know it doesn't politics isn't really important of where he where they stand or where he stands it's you know essentially he has something to say, and that doesn't matter where in the political spectrum that lies i mean yeah. you look at don't tread on me which is sort of very you know america fuck yeah, yeah you know yeah, and yeah. uh love it or leave it so it's easy to think and the hunting stuff it's very easy to think that oh he is you know beer drinking gun-toting you know um homophobic um you know type mm-hmm. of man but i don't think it's necessarily that black and white but you know at this point before you get on to seeing all the some kind of monster and you get to understand, you know, and, and you see that that other side of James that I think very much played into that. So, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. He's um, you know, they ask him, you're pro gun and pro environment. Did you vote for Al Gore? And he says, no, I'm afraid of someone taking my guns away. Which yeah. Never, you know, I mean, that's a sentiment ushered in these certain circles. So it's interesting to see him say that they ask, mm-hmm. did you vote for Bush? He says, no, you'd have to go into the city to vote. So I'm not going to vote. Yeah, Which, I mean, you can understand someone of Hetfield's stature is, is going through this. And this is, again, a section that I find quite sad where he talks about not drinking and trying to drink and yeah. how the skies didn't part. It was just yeah. life, but less fun.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, the uh, you know, when he went into rehab and things, a lot of... Uh perhaps those who don't deep dive into Metallica a lot of people were just like oh he's gone into rehab and things but you know he actually as he says in this this interview he went before you know he mm. he he stopped mm. drinking before he did um he yeah he took some time off he, you know he went to therapy he went to therapy for years obviously this is individual on his own and um a lot of the stuff from load lyrically comes from that period as well you know when he tried to give it up and um it it's it's interesting because you 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 as you said he talks about i didn't drink and the skies i stopped drinking and and the skies didn't part and then you think oh, you know he just wasn't ready because he mm. was obviously looking for something where okay if i stop this then this becomes better and it's not it's not necessarily about that you know you will always be uh, an addict you know but it's about the mechanisms and knowing that you can move forward and be healthy and clear and and, and and that's where the happiness lies. But for him, it was like, well, take the booze away. Is life better? And, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's just, and, and he says, you know, um, I wouldn't say that I'm an alcoholic, but then, you know, alcoholics say they're not alcoholics yeah you know and it's incredible you know there's a scratching of the surface there and bearing in mind as we said this is in 2000 so this is just about you know just before phil comes into the picture phil Mm -hmm. toll you know so it's it's there it's scraping away but i don't think he was ready then and he wasn't ready until that um siberia trip the next year yes
0: yeah yeah the passing of his father's mentioned as well which happened in the low tour and kirk says you know a lot more appreciative thoughtful and compassionate um after that and yeah. then there's some straight-up attacks on James um, from Lars. Mm. I know he's homophobic, <laughs> Lars says. Let there be no question about that. I think homo... And then he says something sort of almost like a yeah. non-sequitur, which is like... So he's just saying James is homophobic, and I think homophobia is questioning your sexuality and not being comfortable with it.
1: Yeah, that's a really, that's a yeah. really fucking interesting statement. Yeah. Because you've got two parts of it. I know he's homophobic. Let there be no question about that. Okay, so jay uh, so lars is saying yep he's homophobic and then he says this thing where he's clarifying so is he saying that james uh questioned his sexuality yeah, I guess so. and you know is he is he implying that james isn't comfortable because do you know what i mean there's this mm. that's a really loaded like i don't know yeah. 14 words or whatever it is yeah, yeah. you know yeah definitely. and it's just glossed over like it that is. i would have been what would have been amazing is if if Tannenbaum would put that statement to Hetfield mm. yeah, and would have had that a response. Yeah,
0: I bet, that I bet he would have fucking tore his buffalo head off the wall. <laughs> <that. I don't, laughs> He'd have had Lars's head up on the <laughs> yeah, wall. exactly. <laughs> um, and um, Kirk says something not as important, but when he said it, I was like, is that right? And he's kind of right. He says yes. that, he says that uh, Papa Roach's song, Last Resort, which is yeah. what everyone remembers. It was ubiquitous uh, oh, in that God. era. Uh, the main riff is from Hallow Be Thy Name by Iron Maiden
1: this is true I mean I'm, I'm, it's probably not necessarily the same notes because I'm sure is tuned down but um uh, yeah it is it's a sp- it's a sped up version but mm. if you if you listen to them sort of side by side you know you can go yeah mm-hmm Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And they survey the landscape musically. They talk a little bit about new metal at the time. Um, Limp Biscuit seems cartoony to James. Yeah. Um, Rage Against the Machine, who, who I'm sure everyone loves, he says it wasn't singing. It was just some guy kind of pissed off telling you his opinion.
1: James, a lot of people could say that about you. Well, exactly. That's really funny because you know I, I think this is this is the. the this is an interesting thing that you know Zach Delaroche is very clear about this is my opinion this is my view on the world this is my political belief this is what's wrong and James does that but because he does it in a way that isn't that that it can be an everyman so he he, you know he's not saying this is what I feel it's more it's more he's just looking from the outside and reflecting on that then apparently that makes it that makes Rage Against the Machine lesser of a band or you know it's like again this idea about not showing your politics and not telling people what to think and I'm I, I, yeah I find that weird I love mm-hmm. rage I think rage are an oh, amazing yeah. band oh, you yeah. know so um yeah interesting one there because mm-hmm. you know James isn't James hasn't um isn't afraid of you know writing his own thoughts about things. Don't tread on me. So yeah, you know
0: Yeah, yeah. To prepare for peace is to prepare for war, apparently. So uh, uh James um, Kirk also says that limp biscuits sound like a second rate corn. And I know I know that Metallica like corn. I remember in the MTV icon Lars yeah. says corn are our peers. Um, so you know he's got a lot of respect for him. he talks about uh, Godsmack who are a band that I'm aware of I'm Not actually heard yeah. being a cross between Metallica Alice in Chains with a bit of corn for him I mean Godsmack is an Alice in Chains song so it's kind yes. of interesting that they name themselves Hetfield. He says that Queens of Stone Age is unique, which is cool, and I guess two thousand this would have been like rated R, a songs for mm. the deaf, that sort of era. Yeah. Which I mean, yeah. what an era! He also mentions a band that a uh, good friend of the show Ethan Luck mentioned, and I was mm. I was listening to their show, their most recent episode, and he mentioned this band, and I just read this interview shortly after. Rocket from the Crypt. Yeah. Apparently, they make James feel good. Have you heard them, John?
1: Yes great band love them cool they they, um um i don't know how to describe them it's kind of they look like it's sort of like rockabilly like or they did back in the day anyway but their most sort of well-known song i suppose in the uk or maybe generally is, is a song called um on a rope okay um well worth checking them out they're like punk pop there's horns um, there's aggression. You know, James was a very big, in, in fact, uh, off the back of him mentioning that, because I'm sure he has in other places as well, I went out and checked that album, mm-hmm. uh, That checked that album out, and it's, um yeah, I've got the singles actually on a rope, because... You know the Metallica connection, but uh, yeah, really good band, well worth listening to. Interesting, yeah, yeah, I'll definitely check them out. It was cool to see that because it was just kind of a
0: a sea of bands that were familiar to me, and then yeah, who the hell? Okay, cool. So yeah, this is this is cool. So yeah, I um, liked.
1: Um, sorry, just no. I, I wanted to say that the Kirk says something about Corn, which made me laugh so much. And he's a Corn cor- <laughs> is a much better vocalist who is somewhat intelligent. <laughs> somewhat intelligent. <laughs> Jonathan Davis would love oh, reading that. <laughs> Kirk, you bitch. I mean, like, just yeah. yeah yeah somewhat intelligent sorry he's not into
0: frankenstein movies like you know i'm sure, yeah. I'm,
1: sure, I'm, sure I'm sure he's got oh different dear days. god yeah but it's interesting because they took you know limp biscuit is cartoony and they talk about corn and then of course um um they toured didn't they The summer sanitarium yes, they toured they with limp biscuit and um i'm sure they toured with corn as well and uh you know and Godsmack later went on to support them on the saint anger tour as well so, um, in fact, there's a great track from shit. Where is it? Oh, Lubbock, Texas on the, uh, St. tour, where, um, Sully, the singer from Godsmack comes out and he does a duet on Sabbath true. Oh,
0: wow. Which That's is,
1: cool. uh, which is, which is, which is quite good. There's a, there's a rather amusing, um, met on tour video of them rehearsing it in the background and him trying to find harmonies. <laughs> you could just see there's a little eyebrow raise from James at one point. And like, yeah, he's not feeling that right, at all, right, <laughs> but right. yeah, good band. But you know, yeah they're not breaking any new ground but but well worth um sort of checking out maybe a greatest hits or whatever
0: okay okay cool and uh, then we get into something that's probably most pertinent going forward Mm. for the band is the whole jason issue um you know and we just spoke just before about um all within my hands on the 2007 bridge school benefit and that lyric um you know love is control i'll die if i let go that sort of sums up jason and james right
1: Yeah, yeah yeah i mean this is uh this is the sort of the meat and potatoes and I think this is what most people latched on to. I still it still pisses me off when I hear people sort of say Jason left Metallica for Echo Brain. Yeah. Uh, he didn't. It was just a facet of of a many-spoked wheel yep. which led to that that you leading up and again the issue was control. You know, they James didn't want this side project released because, you know, as he says, how far does it go? Is he selling T-shirts? Is it's name? He's selling it, you know, and it takes away, as James thought, it takes away from the strength, the family, he uses the word family, Mm -hmm. of Metallica. And this is really, really sort of the, 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 the crux of it, you know yeah and jason's jason's you know doesn't want to talk about it you know he it's mm. almost like he's not scared but you know he says i won't you know we're getting really close to some things we shouldn't be talking about yes. you know i won't go there we have to change the subject you yeah
0: know. yeah yeah and james is just disparaging you know playboy says what is jason supposed to do during the hiatus he says i don't know i'm not his travel agent
1: yeah and also when asked about the album he says it's respectable yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know. So, but this isn't the first time. I mean, there's a history of this. I don't know if you know about the IR8 demo, IR8 demo I didn't from '96, five issue. Jason recorded a demo, uh, IR8, and um, it got released and it got started playing on the radio. Um, and in fact, I think maybe they they talk about it in the Family Values. I can't remember. I've read it somewhere. You know. So James comes back and he absolutely lost his shit because it was being played on the radio. So mm. they'd had this issue before with Jason's Side Projects coming out and james perceiving it to dilute from metallica so this is just you know there's there's clearly a history of this going on this is just the sort of first time that we are hearing about it i think
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's just completely irrational on, on, mm. on, on james's side is it like i can understand it from a certain extent but it's just i mean it's metallica like
1: you know jason clearly lives and breathes this band but mm. in order
0: to make him happy you have to accommodate
1: yeah. And I think that, and James has said this himself, you know, that there's a an interview scene in some kind of monster where he's sitting on his lovely purple couch and he talks about it and he sort of says, you know, it's this idea that because he grew up, uh, because James grew up, you know, without a dad around and then his mum died, you know, that, that for him... I think this wasn't about the music and Jason's name. It was about the fact that he didn't want the only constant, the strength in his life, this band, this entity to disappear, to fragment. And that meant keeping everybody in a place. No, you you, you do that. You do this. I'll play all the rhythm. You just play this. You know, it was about control. And, and the idea that something would come into that or cause that to fracture and break terrified him. You know, it's they're they're real deep rooted issues from his childhood and not to get Freudian, but, you know, it it is right there from the very beginning, from his very formative years, this idea that the strength of something can go and I don't want that to go. So I have to squeeze it and crush it to keep it here
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you know newstead speaks a little bit about it he throws a few punches um yeah you know well, playboy asks wouldn't it be ironic to Jay- to kirk if uh jason releases album on napster <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and you know Newstead New says oh, james is on quite a few records he's in the south park movie when kenny goes to hell yeah. james is singing he's on just about every corrosion of conformity album um i was just checking on wikipedia the only one i can find yeah. that he's on is now called Wise Blood. Um, yeah. He apparently sings on a song called Man or Ash. Man or
1: Ash, yeah. yeah.
0: I need to check that out. i not heard that. Um, he's he-
1: also on... Um, he's also on... I think he's only on... He's only on... At that point, he was only on two. Sure. He, he, he appears on Deliverance as well. Right. The right. album before Wise Blood. Yeah. it wasn't... Pepper
0: Keenan auditioning for the bass
1: role? Yes. Yeah, um, yeah that's, that's, uh, yeah, he did. He brought him in. Um, but I think that was, um, I think Pepper Keenan has sort of said um, since then that, you know, he never, and in fact, he says it on one of the bonus features when they're talking about bass players and Pepper's in that on the Some Kind of Monster Blu ray. He, 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 he was there because I think it was familiar. It was comfortable for James. I think it was much more about yeah. James, James feeling that he could have his friend around. And Pepper says in that, in the DVD, you know, I'll make music when I leave here tomorrow. Like, you know, I'll, I know where my shit is. And I think he, I don't think he ever seriously was going to, uh, entertain the idea of being the bass player in Metallica, you know, but, um, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little, uh, nice little sort of, throwback i suppose if
0: mm-hmm, you know. mm-hmm. yeah jason said that's a shot at him but i'm going to keep it i can't play my shit but he can play with other people yeah and you know playboy says can this conflict be worked out james says some of us are going to have to bend a little
1: uh my back hurts so it won't be me james yeah says, oh. i know i mean it's it, it, it You kind of it it, it it is amusing and you are laughing at it but at yeah. the same point in time you're kind of like oh you know he had he, he had so many sort of issues you know he had so many sort of problems or or like he he just wasn't the person that he is now and when you look back at this now as we are you know almost 20 years later you know you you kind of go fuck I'm glad he's not in that place anymore yeah just for him yeah like not because of anything else but just because he's been able to grow and change, you know, and I think that when you read this now and you kind of go, Jesus, they were in such a fucked up place, although they denied it in that So What magazine issue, you know, they were, they tried to put a sort of a uh, you know a different spin on them, but I, I you know I think that's some retroactive sort of glossing there. Um, but yeah,
0: definitely, definitely. And you know, Lars sort of um, expresses the fact that they're all being interviewed separately. You're hearing yeah. people get things off their chest, almost using you being Playboy as a middleman. Like James yeah. and Jason won't call each other, so they're having a conversation through you. Um, yeah. Matt Damon's mentioned. Uh, yep. Apparently, Matt Damon describes Lars as, quote, a fucking rock star who's got 80 million and his own jet. A bad rock star, too. Yeah.
1: Um, Where did that come from? Why was Matt well, Damon having beef with Lars? Well, um, because Lars's wife, Skylar, yeah, okay. uh, used to date Matt Damon. I see. I see. It. And I think... Um, there might've been a little bit of, um, I, I mean, I don't know supposition, but maybe there was a bit of crossover sure. between the two relationships perhaps, oh, wow. but, um, yeah, but they're all good now, you know, yeah, everything's yeah, hunky dory. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's
0: interesting though, that, um, cause he says, yeah, uh, he's, wife was used by damon as the model for the female lead which i think is mini driver is yeah. is the character which is um good film haven't seen that film in years actually good World yeah. Hunting. it's one of those films that's very by the numbers but quite <coughs> satisfying and you know it's, yeah uh, it, in fact yeah. i
1: think she's called i think the character's called skyler, skyler. i think she is yeah yeah right. yeah
0: yeah so you um, know and uh we learn about his art collection which, Mm -hmm. you know, he has a lot, a lot of paintings there, a lot of de Kooning. Um, He apparently has the best collection of Asgard-Jorn on the planet. I know a little bit about art, I've not heard of him. He has has some Basquiat paintings as well, which are, like, some of the most expensive paintings Mm -hmm. ever, so that's very cool. And... Mm. Then we learn about the nineteen ninety two summer tour with Guns and Roses out of nowhere. There's no yeah. reason this question's asked, but it's Brooklyn. just asked about Montreal. And James's description of what he went through is is visceral. Um you yeah. know, obviously there's a pyrotechnic explosion and he says, My hand looked like hamburger. No matter no matter how much water you poured on it, the pain came back instantly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, um yeah it' it's 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 horrible to watch that segment mm-hmm. in year and a half Life Metallica part two um is 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 horrible to watch yeah. because you just the, the thing that I always think about when I watch that clip is Jason like Jason just there's a section where he, you know he, he pushes his hair back and he's looking around and he's just so confused and you're like that dude has just you know the dude in your band has just stepped on like a thousand degree flame yeah, yeah, yeah. like and he was so lucky. They basically just went up the left-hand side of his body, you know, so his left mm. arm, all of his hair went on the left-hand side of his side, you know, the strings on his guitar melted, you know, his neck got fucked, you know, it was just, it's just any couple of inches to the left, mm-hmm. you yeah, know, and, yeah. and we'd have been with, uh, probably we'd have been at uh, Hetfield.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, no, you're right, and um, yeah, awful, awful. Um, they speak a lot about writing as well songwriting um james almost has a uh, sorry jason has a little dig as well he talked about about 90 percent mm-hmm. of metallica songs are in e minor because james vocal range is limited although he's developed by leaps and bounds i mean let's talk about black album james is a great yeah. sing- james is a great singer on that album
1: yeah, I think this is a. That's just a little pot shot yeah. from somebody who's pissed off. And I mean, ninety yeah. percent of Metallica songs are in E minor. They're not. Yeah, they're not. Yeah, I didn't. Load was the first. Was the first time yeah, that it was yeah, consistently yeah. in a different tuning for other than standard. I think. Yeah, he's just angry. He's hurt he's um he wants to lash out so you know he, he he what's the easiest thing that that he can pick on oh well i'll just call into question his musical ability james is a is, is a great singer yeah, yeah i don't think that's in any you know you can go from you know um uh from uh battery you know the aggression uh fight fire with fire and then you've got you know mama said and uh you know nothing else matters so i, I you know that's just you know it's yeah. just jason being you know being pissed off yeah
0: yeah i didn't i didn't really get that um new studies ask if any chance metallica will follow the rap metal direction uh no rapid metallica he says the chance of james Hetfield going in the rap direction lars says are probably between zero and minus one so wasn't there that Swiss Beats, We Did It Again? Oh, yes. What was
1: that yeah. about? Well, that's interesting because uh, no no rapper Metallica until a year or so later. Yeah. We'll actually collaborate with somebody who's a rapper. Yeah. Um, so um, I know I keep talking about it, but it's it's fantastic. The, the, the Some Kind of Monster Blu-ray has mm. uh, an amazing array of extra features. And one of those is like a half-hour segment on that actual thing that We Did It Again, which is oh, uh, Swiss God. Beats. And jar rule. And it is got honestly, Tom, you have to dig it I out. You to get it's it, has yeah. got the funniest thing you will ever see because you've got Swiss beats there and they're in the Presidio. So this is when James oh, is away. Right, right, right. So James is in rehab and um they're in um Swiss and his sixty-four man entourage mm-hmm. are in that tiny little control room in this in the presidio. And they're listening to different pieces of songs. So we did it again, is actually a composite of two different Metallica songs. So they they they're there listening to it and they talk about putting together and Bob Rock's there. And Swiss is doing the you know, um you know, he's bouncing around and he's you know doing sort of perhaps what you might term stereotypical sort of rapper moves sure, sure. and he's he's right there and he's doing it and bob's there with his lovely sort of you know very vidal Sassooned hair and he's got some sort of jumper on and he's like jar just jumping around in his face and you're like god this must have been so uncomfortable to be in that room because you don't know where to look but it's an amazing an amazing piece of um um footage to watch this whole thing come together so yeah i actually like that song i'll be honest with you um but um yeah no rap in metallica means no james doing rap yeah 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 yeah
0: yeah and uh, the interview closes um with again almost almost like a sort of say Anger lyric in a in, a, in yeah. a slightly more poetic way um basically asking playboy asking can you find the dark spot you know can you find this wellspring that you draw from creatively james says i know it's there and how it got there i can visit it and leave again it's
1: a dark spot you can't wash off and amazing mm. how that how that hasn't made it into a lyric right. i don't know that yeah. is phenomenal i mean the guy is just doing an interview and he's just, uh, you know, talking off the top of his head and he comes out with something like that. And I was, I was in a band for 10 years and I <laughs> never came up with any lyrics uh, anywhere halfway near as amazing no. as that throwaway sentence. No. You know? No. no. Yeah, amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. And and that effectively brings us to the end of, yeah. of this interview.
0: I mean, and we've just scratched the surface, really. There is so much in there. So again, I want to urge everyone listening, check the link in the description, go back and read it. And as I said before, Metallica did follow this up, a sort of unofficial sequel, I suppose, in the So mm. What with the um, Family Values, the True Family Values interview, where, you know, they speak openly about this. And its I, I guess this was the first public mention of therapy with Phil as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is... Um for all you uh folks that they haven't read this or don't know this, mm. this is so what volume eight issue one which is available right. for free download on metallica.com let's go as long as you register for a fifth member there we go they didn't pay me for that plug by the way <laughs> they fucking should um yeah it's it's really it's really interesting because this is um um when was this when was this done 2000 march 2000
0: uh, yeah yeah round about that yeah oh3. No, a bit yeah. late, oh, bit, bit, bit yeah, early in March that, I
1: think. March 2001. So, this yeah. interview was done in March 2001. That's so, it's right, Kirk, right. Kirk, Lars, and James um, chatting about these things. And they do, as you say, it's the first introduction of Phil Toll. It's the first introduction of therapy. They talk about the Playboy interview. And, you know, the, as I say, they try and push it off, uh, we'll sort of put a different spin on it, saying, you know, it was, uh, l- as you said, Lars mm-hmm. says it's really good and it mm-hmm. serves like a testament of how things were at their lowest point oh Lars, how yeah. little you knew at that time <laughs> um, yeah, it's 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 a fascinating read, all these round tables, I mean y- y- you mentioned before the the so what, the book um, they're, the, they've, they've done a number of these round table interviews, and in fact they did one with Jason as well um, prior in the year before this as well, which was the first ever round table that they'd done, and they're fascinating reads I'd highly recommend getting the book but mm-hmm. also checking them out on Metallica.com all the issues are there, and um, yeah it's interesting it's interesting you know Lars talks about you know we have to fix stuff within ourselves um they talk about um you know jason leaving and the fact that where they are now is where jason wanted to be and it's quite sad that he's not there because this is exactly what he wanted them going into the studio jamming you know and uh, an interesting side note into uh, lars punching jason yeah i mean little lars and he is little, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. you know. So uh, yeah, it's it's a fascinating read. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, and and Lars says as well that. You know, uh, it's like a time capsule, the Playboy interview. It's fucking miles away from where they are. I hope that people don't use the Playboy interview and think that's where the three of us are. That's just not the case. James says, to me, it doesn't matter because I don't give a shit. And, you know, he talks about the fact that Rob Rob has sort of written this interview, exploited the fact that they were detached and and built on that. But, yeah, it's a great follow-up, a great addendum if you want more information. And this has been awesome going through it, actually, because there's just so much stuff to get yeah. through and you know really, really interesting and uh, I, li- I like the fact that they just to, uh, finally they called Echo Brain uh, a bluesy poppier version of Stevie Ray stuff which is, yeah, uh, it's, awesome. it's yeah it's not yeah, I, di- I, I, didn't, I didn't understand that, that, that description either but um, in the So What book as well um, which mm. I really like the hardcover book they have banned comments after most of the articles for them to sort yeah. of look back on so these comments were written in 2004 about this era as a whole, um, James says Prehab, getting used to opening up Lars yeah. says, the spring of resolve, and then there were three. The the connecting <laughs> process has begun, <laughs> which yeah. I think is a haiku. I think. Um, yeah. And uh, finally, Kirk says, boy, we were naive. We had no idea what was to come. I'm just glad yeah. uh, we were smiling in these pictures. A few weeks later, there would be many tears shed. And I'm not trying to be negative, just accurate. And yeah. probably the most um, noticeable thing from these photos, John, James is holding a beer.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, um, I think pretty much in every photograph, he has a beer. And interestingly, I'm sure I've read some, I read a comment from Ross Halfin somewhere where he, he, that was a bugbear of his because he just tried to keep the band from, every time he photographed them, they always had a beer in their hand. And he fought really hard to take photos without beer in them. So, yeah, it's, it's, um. Uh, again like the playboy interview when you read this now in in retrospect and you kind of go they're 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 starting to pick away they're starting to to look at these things you know it it's 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 coming but they're not quite there yet you know i mean james talks about knowing when you are ready to communicate um you know and, and knowing that you're not communicating and then being ready to communicate you know it's it's um yeah, it's, it's, it's tu- I, I'll be honest with you, it's tough to read these things yeah. because you, you realise just how close they were to not existing anymore. Oh, yeah. And I think this is a real, we should, as fans, we should go back and read these things and, and, and just sort of take a moment to think, I'm so fucking glad that they went through all that shit and no matter what you think about some kind of monster, whether they should have released it or not, no matter what you think about St. Anger, the fact is is that they did all these things to get to the where they are today that they're still here they're still around they're still the biggest metal band in the world and that they're, they're still vital and alive and i think that is what these are these are really good uh, james says you know it's a testament to where we are you know somebody says it's a testament where we are it's a time capsule it really is that mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: and i'm so glad they stayed together because if they didn't
1: you wouldn't have been able to meet lars in 2002 <laughs> well yes that's true <laughs> Metallabash yeah. right oh god yeah so a um, little bit of quick back history to that so um, um, in 2001 um, a bunch of fans uh, from the Met Club decided to put together like essentially a little fan convention I think um, one of the bands said something uh, offhandedly in an interview about They'll, we'll do a convention when we have an action figure and then an action figure <sighs> came out and they decided fans so so yeah so the second one they did was in 2002 and um I uh, I went over so I flew over to San Francisco. I was there for a week and um, it was great. They had an event at the Great American Music Hall. So there was um, a cover band um, Creeping Death who were were brilliant i'm not sure if they're still going They q and a's with stefan churazi who's the editor of um so what you had um lon um shit was his lon friend i think his name is or something he was a noted journalist for sort of rolling stone and those sorts of things q and a the met club they had stalls there we could buy some great loads of fans there must have been about 250 people there so um we were all staying there was a bunch of us there must have been about 15 or 20 of the same fans staying in the same hotel so we um after the event at the um Music Hall we, we went back and we were hanging Out and I bought a uh, I bought a Metallica dressing gown A nice long white dressing gown that I Was wearing at 2am in San Francisco Because yeah. I thought fuck it why not yeah, yeah. Uh, So we were just hanging out in the lobby chatting and then I turned around down the corner where I could see Toby, Toby Stapleton who used To be the um, merch manager For Met Club and I was like oh Toby's here That's kind of weird what's Toby doing here and then You know chatting away and the next thing you just Hear this voice from behind me and I was Like I oh Shit! And you turn around and Lars is there. And he, he decided he came um, to the hotel where a bunch of fans were. And um, we stood around chatting in the foyer. And then he said, come on, let's go crash a room. So we went up to um, uh, one of our rooms and um, we hung out there and took some photos and had a chat and things. He was very, very drunk. Yeah. um there's a there's a fuller story of this full yes. of yes recounted this on my blog but there's some photos there of a very young me um and a very very drunk lars as you can see from the photo <laughs> it's a great quite color. drunk
0: it's a great color, quite yeah. drunk
1: um yeah but just like lovely guy i got to sit with him and chat with him and um i i don't remember being nervous but i think i probably was because i remember telling him that i'd heard the um jar rules for speech track, we did it again. Mm-hmm. And I was just sort of saying, you know, I really liked it. I thought it was interesting and And then I proceeded to tell him that I downloaded it Not- from from, <laughs> from LimeWire. Uh to which I said it and then I thought, well, that that's me thrown out of a window hey. then. And he looked at me and he tapped me on my knee and he said, That's okay, man. As long as you enjoy it.
0: Oh laws.
1: And I was like, Oh dude. And uh, so again, that's why I get so passionate about the Napster thing yeah. because he didn't care. I told him to his face. I had yeah, illegally yeah, yeah. downloaded a song with his <laughs> band's music in and he didn't, he was just like, you know, I mean, probably because he was pissed and probably uh, because, you know, we'd all made the effort to put on yes. this event celebrating his band. But yeah, just to really, really like down to earth, spoke to everybody. He was there for a couple of hours in the room and then we went down um, onto the pavement uh, to have a cigarette and things. Mm-hmm. And then he came down and had a cigarette with us and we were just talking about he'd been to a barbecue that day with his kids and we were just chatting. A taxi turned up for him. He waved it away so he could stay and talk some more. So mm-hmm. all in all, he was there for about, about about three or four hours like it was just like mind-blowing because when you do a meet and greet you know these days you pay for them you know to a certain degree but you know you do meet and greet it's very formal you shake your hand and you know you've got people in the line who are gushing and crying and things but he just turned up everybody was relaxed he was relaxed i stole his drink it was very strong um it, it was just it was just an amazing time. And and I think the fact that it was so unique, it wasn't a meet and greet. It wasn't, Oh, I saw him in tower records or whatever it is. You know, he came, sure. he came to us, you know, so, so really, really just like one of my most treasured memories and, um, why I will always go to bat for Lars, why I will always defend him because he didn't have to do that. He mm-hmm. didn't have to come and, and do any of those things, uh, but he took the time to do that, you know? So I don't know if you've ever asked me, but I'll be straight up and say, you know, my favorite Metallica member last
0: there we go there we go yeah um that is awesome awesome story i will pop the link in the description um directly to the article of course to the playboy one as well and you, your blog that's um that Sturm right dot wordpress.com yeah that's
1: the one okay
0: um is there any other projects uh, any of the kiss podcasts you're affiliated with right
1: still still i'm um, hawking it out i i mention this quite a lot to them. i say look i just, just you know i'm out there spreading the word although the podcast is coming to an end because they're doing like like you're doing they take uh, a kiss track every week oh. but they're coming to the end of it so they've got a bunch of songs and there's maybe sort of 30 35 songs left to do and then that's the end of well certainly the kiss aspect of it but yeah that's a uh, pot of thunder.com um yeah. Jesus. and i'm affiliated with that i uh, i'm the sort of uh, my part of it is stats of thunder so i collect they do voting so i've collected all the voting so if you want to know how many people how many positive votes they've given or negative votes how many songs of each album we've got positive on ne- it you know all of that i love a graph mm-hmm. i love
0: oh so yeah So a pod
1: of thunder.com.
0: jesus 20 studio albums so far kiss has so and probably... well, so
1: far we're on to episode 200 and something 200 300 something so, 300 wow oh my god uh, I can tell you specific, mind you, you've got, you know, you, you're not... Uh, it's going to be one, not... about 150, I think,
0: totally out Metallica. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
1: well done. Yeah, yeah. they're on episode uh, 243 at the moment. 243,
0: so. okay, awesome. Well, definitely check that out. Um, Thank you. Comment below. Let us know what you thought Um, about this episode, what you thought specifically about the Playboy interview. Um, Definitely read it. Uh, get in touch with me on leave us a review on itunes patreon thank you guys i should say just sincerely for listening um you know for fucking with the episode i the show in general i do really really appreciate it it's such fun to do and um i think i've been going for about six months or so now and yes. you know i've loved it so thank you as always and john thank you again man
1: thank you tom